0: Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs.
1: Welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Tina Spring. And today, we have Shannon Coiner joining us. She is a positive reinforcement animal behavior consultant, and she's an international speaker and the best-selling author of The Evolution of Dog Training, She has a wide variety of letters behind her name, some of which I have no idea what they mean, so maybe she can explain all of those to us. And she reached out to talk to us, so we decided we would do a a mutual podcast, one for her and one for us, but it's all the same one, if that makes any sense. So we're really happy to have her here to talk about positive reinforcement training from a perspective of another positive reinforcement trainer. And And we're just going to kind of go from there. So welcome, Shannon. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much. This is so fun. I love talking to other people who like positive training and understand all how that goes and how we really need it to keep building momentum so that eventually traditional training is obsolete you know, so that these dogs can learn in a safe, fun environment with empathy and compassion, because that's always what I say. You know, we need compassion for ourselves and them, and we need empathy for us and them. So thank you for having me. We're excited to have you here. So I know you wrote a book. Can you talk to us a little bit about it? Yes. My book is called The Evolution of Dog Training, and it is basically the history of dog training. And I wrote it with the perspective of, you know, new dog trainers who maybe are coming into the world and- Uh, Maybe that experience with traditional training in the past, or they are brand new and they have clients and they're using all positive force free. And then they have somebody who says, well, I want to use a choke chain. I wanted them to understand how it evolved because when we understand history, it helps us be able to explain why we are where we are in every aspect of life. And um, I also wanted it to be because I, I work with a lot of what we call crossover people, you know, trainers or clients who go from the traditional method, so aversive, you know, punishment-based training to a positive reinforcement. And I found that I had a really good high turnover rate for clients, you know, when I was able to explain why it's changed. And I would go to conferences or meet with other trainers and they'd go, oh, I just can't get this client to change. And I started realizing it was because of the way the perspective I took is no blame, no shame that you used to or you did that or that's the only way you've known. But I started teaching, yes, that's how we trained. This is how it started over a hundred years ago, you know, using this aversive training because it was all we knew. But that was also when kids were, you know, hit it by teachers. And you know, there was a lot more punishment based just across society. And then how we evolved and we're you know Bob Bailey and how the clickers and Karen Pryor and I kind of just talk about how it slowly has evolved as Well, as how child rearing has changed too, and how we raise kids. But then what I also tell people is, would you go to a doctor who still used leeches? You know, because 100 years ago, we used leeches to fix fevers and, you know, different things. And we used to think that the world was flat. So I do it because sometimes people get stuck in like, well, this works because I will never tell you the punishment won't work. It will get the job done. But the side effects could be, as I don't even need to explain to you guys, but the side effects can be just detrimental, the fear and anxiety that we cause. Plus the bond is broken. When you are trying to control your dog all the time with punishment, you're always looking for what they did wrong rather than, hey, that was a really good job, you know, and we as humans respond better to that. And so do our dogs. So that's what got me prompted to to write the book was just to be able to be in a kind, easy, it's not meant to be textbook. It's not to be meant to be clinical because I wanted it to be an easy read, whether you were a new trainer a new pet parent, you worked in a shelter, you know, you didn't have to have a PhD in animal behavior to be able to understand how it crossed over. So that's why I wrote it. And, you know, just really have tried to help people um, understand that part of it. So that's, that was the history of it. And writing a book is not easy, but it became a passion of, you know, spending that time because I wanted to help people internationally, you know, if they, if they could have access to this anywhere.
0: Right. I would say as a crossover trainer, right. Cause I'm as old as Methuselah. I don't know anybody who goes into dog training to abuse dogs, right? I'm right. sure there is that psycho person out there, but that is not Typical. And I will also say that I have watched because I've had a long career that transition from, you know, making the dog uncomfortable until the dog complies, right? To where we are now. There was a swing for a while there that was really bad for positive training because it was like positive equated to permissive and that it's all about the cookies. And I think that's a really unfair. Assessment. I would actually say that most long in the tooth positive reinforcement based trainers have pretty strict criteria and it requires a tremendous amount of more skill in my experience as a handler, as someone understanding and advocating for their pet than does those old aversive methods, right? Everybody like yes. they could do it and that they got good outcomes and it was really fast. And so I think that's a little bit of the allure is yes. people are like, I just want the dog to do what I told them to do <laughs> instead of having to learn how to drive the dog they have.
2: Exactly. Exactly. They need to love the dog they have because the dogs are individual just like every single person on this planet, there are not two dogs that are alike, whether they're in the same breed from the same litter, they're all individuals. And I too am a crossover trainer, you know. So, you know, because I've been doing this since, you know, dirt. And I think a problem is is sometimes because humans like to control. And there's a power struggle that happens, and they especially when with the dominance and the alpha, I want to be in charge. I want to control this dog. And it does work. I mean, you can pop a dog and they submit to you and you get them to comply, as you said. But what's happening with them? What's happening in their brain? You know, what kind of things are are going to percolate underneath? And what are they learning to be afraid of? Are they really learning to be afraid of you're going to pop them if they don't sit? Or are they really learning to be afraid of you or afraid of other things? I agree. It went through a period where people say, well, I don't want to bribe my dog to do things. And people had to understand the learning theory of, no, it's reinforcing the things you like, you know, and really driving what you like rather than always looking at that negative. And as humans, we like to look for negative. I mean, that's why news is so, media is so big. You know, like the media will be like spotlight, whatever. There could be a hundred wonderful things that happen in the world, but our news station will find the one thing bad happened in the world. (laughs) And then, um, spot like that. And it's really frustrating (laughs) when, um, when we start to look at that, it's a hard life to live too. When we know healthy as humans, wellness is so popular now that having gratitude and looking for good things makes you a healthier person. And I think it makes a healthier relationship when you start looking for your dog, all the good things of what your dog offers. My current dog was my best agility as a, he's 14 now. I was like, I'm going to have that dog who's well-rounded. He's going to be a therapy dog, an agility dog, and he's going to love everything. Well, he didn't really want to be a therapy dog. He didn't really like strangers petting him. But on the agility course, he was like, yeah, mom, this is what I was born to do. And I had to accept that, that, okay, well, I'm not going to be doing therapy with this dog, but I still love him to death. And I love him for who he is, not who I wanted him to be, if that
1: makes sense. Well, that makes perfect sense. Well, I was also thinking when you were talking about punishment, and there's something about punishment working. You get a well-behaved dog, but you also get a dog that doesn't show any different behaviors. And the lack of behavior is not the same as good behavior is what I try to Mm -hmm. tell people as well. But the other thing is, is I think there's this insidious part to punishment that people don't think about or realize. Is there something about punishing that is rewarding to the Person who's doing the punishment. And I don't know why it is rewarding to punish something or someone else, but I think it becomes an insidious part of it. And I don't think it's something that most people recognize, but I think maybe there's some, it's funny because I think in some ways there's some positive reinforcement to the person inflicting the punishment because I have just, you know, snapped my dog's neck with the, with the leash, popped the leash and he sat. So yay, that works. So it's, it's in a bizarre way. The punishment of your dog is a positive reinforcement for the person who's giving the punishment. And I think that's one reason why it's hard for people to give it up. But I think that once you switch over, And you start doing more positive reinforcement and you realize how alive your dog becomes when he's no longer afraid to try something new. Yeah. Let's play with a box. Let's play with this toy. Let's see what you can do with it. That The dog's no longer fearing that if, well, what if I do the wrong thing? It's going to hurt. So if I don't do anything, I'll probably be okay. Oh
2: my gosh. I love, like there's so many, my brain is exploding with things I want to say. I love that you brought that up um, because I've been doing this for so long. There was a period of time I'd go to conferences when we were doing that real transition of why can we not get people to go from negative to this punishment to positive positive? and you nailed it. We talked about, you know, there's the four quadrants of um, operant conditioning, which I won't go into because it gets very complicated, but reinforcement means that whatever you're is increasing, you know, whatever you want to have is if something's reinforced, it will increase. If it's punishment, it's supposed to decrease. So with reinforcement, we positively punish. So we hurt our dog, like by choking them so that they will comply and we get them to comply. So the behavior we wanted is happening. So we get this like internal, like, yes, it worked. It's not even conscious. I don't think people really think it's conscious, but it is part of what learning theory is. And it's part of how operant conditioning, classical conditioning works, which is all what we talk about in positive reinforcement. But we have to look at that with humans as that's reinforcing for them. I remember going to conferences where we had to really talk about that as we transitioned over And then I also love what you said about we are allowing our dogs to try different things because even as humans, when you live in a really strict environment, and if you try something and you fail and you get criticized for failing, you're not going to try again. So you don't get that full happiness and living the life, you know, that life, and you lose your personality. I know that my dogs now. I, I recognize their individual personalities. I love their individual personalities just as much as I love my friends' individual personalities, you know, and I don't want the dog anymore who is just obedient because I want him to say, I want my dogs to be able to tell me, Hey, mom, I need this or I want to do this or look at what I did. And if I don't like the behavior, I just can ignore it and then, but reinforce something else that I like and then. they're like, Oh, well, you like that better. Okay. I'll stop jumping on you because you like me to sit. Okay. I'll sit instead. It just builds that human bond so much. When we take out that piece, I personally think, because as a crossover trainer, you know, I had that like, Oh, look, my dog will sit, you know, and I didn't like it even as a teenager, but, uh, it was what I did and it worked. Um, but when I started switching over and started noticing that my dog's wanted to be with me more they wanted to try different things they made me laugh because they had could show their personality and I was learning positive reinforcement so I was looking for those good things I started seeing more good things that my dogs offered and less bad things because I was looking for them previously I would be looking for don't do that don't do that don't do that don't do that no 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 and then I now I'm like oh yes oh yes which helped me as a human parent, because I have three teenagers, you know, and I started to realize that when I told my kids, thank you so much for, you know, helping me with the kitchen, they did the kitchen the next day by themselves. I didn't have to ask because they got some recognition and it really started to blow my mind of this is how everybody works. You know, whether it's an employee, when I was managing a staff, um, everybody wants to be Recognized for something they did good. And if you're constantly telling somebody that they're bad, they don't want to be with you. And I don't want my dogs to not be with me. So that is huge. I love that you brought those things up.
0: Well, and I would say that our dogs all here know, like intellectually being honest, mm-hmm. the Doberman who decided that this second Skype call is beyond <laughs> the pale and he must sing the song of his people because there's been a terrible error and a Doberman is in a box. Like he knows that I'm working, uh-huh. and like a toddler who's like, "Oh, you're on the phone. Let me play my drum set, right? Because <laughs> you can't ignore that, mom. Yeah. Right? Like it's negative attention seeking. I'm clear that that's what it is. Exactly. Right? He's a derpy teenager. He got to go outside yeah. so that I, so that you don't listen. Have to edit barking out, <laughs> out of out of a podcast or two, I I will say my dogs here. No, like Mm -hmm. it doesn't make their eyes bleed. Like there are limits. And I think sometimes positive reinforcement ends up being like wrangled into this, like, Oh, your fields have no fences, which is just not at all. It's a lot harder. Like if I was to be completely honest, the old way was a lot easier. (laughs) This requires a lot more nuance and skill. And I think that sometimes does make it hard for families because they're like, no, for example, I'll give you an example of like somebody who's like, I want my dog to walk nicely on a leash for walks. It's like, don't we all? Yes, of course we do. Yes. But but if your dog is sound sensitive and motion sensitive and struggles with sudden environmental change and you live in downtown Toronto, that's going to be an issue. Yes. we have other, Like we have other fish to fry before we get like, cause you don't have a polite leash walking problem yet. You have all this other stuff and the poor customer is just like, I just want my dog to walk nice on a leash. I'm like, I'm with you. It's kind of like, I'd like to be a size eight, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I'd really, I'd love that. That, that right. sounds great. Right. Sign me up. Right. If I could just write a check and be a size eight, that would be fabulous. Maybe. <laughs> But it does. It just where I would say in 1986, you just would correct the snot out of that dog until he just gave up and politely went for a walk around the block. Exactly. But it wasn't very n- nice to the dog. And those
2: other problems will percolate somewhere else. They're not going to go away. That anxiety fear is not going to go away. It's just going to raise its ugly head somewhere else. So now your dog's going to chew your furniture or poop and pee in your house or run away or do something, bark their head off. You know, I mean, that's the thing is the punishment. It's that one symptom, but it didn't make the whole thing. I know. And I would love to be a size eight, you know, as well. But I got to actually like exercise. See, exercise isn't my problem. I like to hike and stuff. It's that, you know, not even carbs and things. I have to do the whole thing, but I can't pick and choose. I can't say I'm going to be a size eight, but I'm still going to eat cake every day. And oh, I'll exercise, but not do these. You have to do the whole thing. Right. And it it's- is
0: way more difficult for like- a... You can't, you can't exercise your way through poor nutrition. Exactly. So so it's the same thing. Like, could you put enough equipment on a dog that you could drag them around the backyard and it would be awful for everyone? Sure. But at what cost? Like, that's not really what you mean. That's not what you mean. So I think, again, especially as people change how they parent, And to a certain extent, I think COVID helped in a weird way because people now understand chronic stress differently than they did five years ago. Oh, 100%. So when I start talking about, no, 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 this is really stressful for your dog. Like he's not, he's not being bad. He's having a really hard time. Now, when I draw those analogies to like, you know how, like, I don't know about you, I was going to be skinny and my house was going to be perfect. (laughs) At the start of COVID, because I was like, woohoo, I could totally stay home for seven months, right? But none of that happened. Mm -hmm. None of that happened. And it's because this, even though I had a complete willingness, Mm -hmm. wasn't that I didn't want to do it. Like I was down, I was ready to go. The stress Mm -hmm. was sufficient. That just
2: wasn't possible. Exactly. Fear too. These dogs that are stressed, fear, anxiety, stress. Fear doesn't make sense. And that's what I try to tell my people, my clients too, is sometimes, you know, why are we, why is our people universally afraid of tarantulas or snakes when they've never been bit by a snake, a snake has never hurt them. Maybe they've never seen a tarantula, but they can be inherently just afraid of those things. Fear doesn't always make sense. Like, why am I afraid when I'm alone in my house? Maybe because I hear the wind. It's all the stuff that goes in our brain, and we don't always know what's going on in our dog's brains of what they're associating these fears. And then that fear turns into anxiety, and if we can't fix it, like, um, you know, if you're afraid of a snake, like, I used to be afraid of snakes when I was younger. And then I had a friend who had a snake, and they kept just like, just hold it, just hold it, just hold it. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I became a vet tech and an exotic vet hospital so I was like here's this giant boa can you hold it while we draw blood and I I just had to like I got over it but I got flooded a little bit and only because I was a human able to say like okay the snake's not hurting me I'm helping it I got over my fears same thing with mice I used to hate mice and I worked in a zoo and they literally would run over your feet sometimes in the barn and it was not easy I got flooded not what I would recommend to anybody doing with a dog but I eventually got over it. But it's only because I was human and I could talk myself out of going, that mouse didn't bite your toes, just ran over your feet. And they're just animals too. But with our dogs, we have, they don't understand garbage trucks and trains and, you know, all these weird things that we have in our world. Why, my my Jack Russell used to be petrified of the fire alarm. I don't know why. It's just a stupid sound, but she would quiver to the point I had to do desensitizing Because I had to help her with that therapy because she couldn't help herself. But had I punished her with that, that would have never made that fire alarm better. So it's learning like all this stuff. And that chronic stress, COVID did. Nobody understood chronic stress before that. Like Nobody was aware of it. They may have been experiencing it, but they weren't aware of what they were experiencing.
0: Well, and they didn't realize how it was going to fundamentally change function. Mm -hmm. Like fundamentally. I, I'm probably, hopefully I'm not the only dog trainer who is completely revamping our programming because humans are not learning the way they were learning five years ago. They're just not. And like I'm going to advocate for the humans to adjust to accommodate the dog in front of them, my company is adjusting to accommodate the learner in front of me. And so lessons are shorter. They're not as complicated. They're much more streamlined. And we're covering less stuff, but just a a nuanced different way to just make it easier and more comfortable so that it's easier and more comfortable. So hopefully I'm not the only dog trainer who's on the precipice of that and going, okay, I got to change how I'm doing things because it doesn't really matter how I want to do it. It matters how my learner is experiencing it. Oh yeah.
2: Like my, I email training plans to my private clients, you know, after our appointments and I used to be able to put way more detailed things. And now it also depends on the person. Like some people are very intellectual and they want all the stuff. But um, right now I currently have someone who has very stressed. She's seen multiple trainers and she said, I never had direction. So I sent her, I saw her and I gave her my training plan, which was already simplified. She appreciated it. She goes, no one's ever given me something that literally bullet point, told me what I'm supposed to do until I see you next. But even my more simplified version, she sent me an email and she said, okay, I get these parts. I don't understand these things. So I just emailed her this morning and I said, okay, you are doing awesome. You're doing better than most, just so you know. You're an overachiever, but you're doing better than most, first of all. So good job. Then I said, these are the four things I want you to just focus on until I see you next week. Like one of them is like, you need a new vet because your dog is fearful of your old vet. These are the vets that deal with fearful dogs. Call them, see if they're willing to work with you and me with your appointment. Call them. You don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to do the research and see who you're comfortable with. That was one of her points. Then it was, five to 10 minutes, two to three times a day, she works from home. So she uses her breaks to train her dog. And then I told her to get food toys, which she had already gotten. So she, I'm like, you've already done that. You've already done that. But I literally have to streamline it to like, (laughs) and I have some clients that I say, okay, we need to revamp your puppy schedule. And I can't, I used to be able to say that and say, okay, you know, do this or that now literally on my training plans, it'll say, what time do you wake up? Okay. 6am potty, you know, feed, play, you know, whatever, whatever thing is nap, you know, part, I mean, literally I will, I say you can adjust these times, but then they can just copy and paste my schedule and adjust the times a little bit, but they don't have, they can't even think of that on their own anymore. Like they used to be able to, not all of them, but a lot of them, I'm having to do the exact same thing. It's good to hear that. I'm not, I thought I was a little crazy going, people aren't learning this the same way that they used to. So
0: I, I totally agree. Well, and it's interesting, I think, because people were perhaps a little more self-absorbed, right? Cause they were dealing. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Like self-care is not a bad thing. Totally. But people were like, I gotta take I gotta take better care of me because I'm a little cuckoo for cocoa puffs at the moment. It took some pressure off the dogs. Yes. So while I see that some of the dogs have do have some special needs, you know, because no one's been to the house in two years. They, in many ways, are less stressed than they were before, mm-hmm. partially because what we're seeing here, anyway, is that people are not going back to the crazy schedule they had before, where it was like from 7 a.m. until midnight, we were just full, like send it, <laughs> like, yeah, just gotta race around to be crazy all the time. Most people I'm talking to are like, no we do not do that pace anymore. That is not okay. And I do think that to a certain extent that has benefited most of the family dogs, if we can get them enough sleep with their yes. home, because it's so, it's so different than what people need that they're like, no, no, no. It's like, it's kind of like when you're a little kid and you stay home sick from school one day, and then you notice that the school bus goes to school anyway. And you're like, wait, they do that if I'm not, like, we all have that when we're like six or seven. Yeah. I think people thought that dogs just played all day instead of sleeping all day, which is what do they you,
2: do. Do you remember when COVID first happened and all those memes were going out about the dog going like hiding on the refrigerator? I don't want to go on another walk. We've already been on 25 today. You right. know, like COVID first happened. The it got yeah. exhausted. <laughs> And people don't realize how much that's probably something I coach with my puppy clients all the time is your puppy needs to sleep more. And it used to be, I'd say people who were retired, worked from home or homeschooled. They were the people who had problems with their puppies, not sleeping enough. So I could really isolate the group of like, oh, you work for, you don't work from home and you just come home at lunch and then you go back and you come home at dinner. Those puppies didn't have mouthing problems, behave as many behavior problems because they slept at least eight hours And then they slept at night, eight hours. So they were getting that significant sleep. Now when people are home, their dogs are sleeping and they're waking them up or they want to engage with them because they're home. And I have to educate people about that a lot, you know, and the mental stimulation. This is what else COVID helped me with is I said, you remember when we went to COVID and you couldn't buy a puzzle anymore because they were all sold out and you couldn't buy crafts anymore. People were craving mental stimulation because they weren't getting it from work. They weren't getting it from the outside world. They were stuck in the house with their family and their little limited circle. And that's how I've been able to educate people that dogs need that mental stimulation too. You know, we don't just sit there. We can't just sit and stare at a wall for eight hours a day and be okay. We need some form of mental stimulation. Everybody's is different of what they want, whether they read books. But even with the screen time of children, and my teenagers are included, that's not real mental stimulation. I mean, you're staring at a screen that's, you don't have to think. They're giving you all the information. So these food toys and, you know, Kongs and Kong Wobblers and all of those things where dogs get to use their brain and do puzzles. I call them the Rubik's Cube for dogs. But, um, you know, that was another thing we learned with COVID is people could start to see, oh, wow, yeah, I couldn't just sit home. Yeah, and you think, oh, wow, I'm going to clean my house. I'm going to get all these things done. But when you're stressed, you did a puzzle. But you were still getting yourself mental stimulation. It was just taking it down a notch of your expectations of what you could do.
1: You know, one of the things that I, I also, when we were talking about dogs under stress or dogs having, you know, poor behaviors, one of the things I think that I do a lot of education on with people is, you know, when you're talking about fear, we don't always know the cause of fear. I think one of the things that we need to remember is that when our dogs are younger, um, all dogs view the world in terms of, is it safe or unsafe? And I think if we have that, that sort of binary view of the world that dogs have, is this safe for me to do or is this not safe for me to do? If we think like that, then I think we're much more likely to tune into what stresses our dog and what doesn't, because we're watching them. Is this something you're eagerly anticipating or want to participate in, or are you backing away from it? Is it feeling unsafe to you? And I think when we begin to take a look at the world in that way, we're less likely to then have our dogs encounter single event learning where something traumatic really happens to them. I mean, sometimes you can't help that. You can't help it if you're out walking and suddenly you turn the corner and a German Shepherd comes flying out of nowhere and bites your dog. Some stuff like that we can't anticipate, we can't do anything about. We can only try and help our dog get through it. But there are other things I think that we can avoid traumatizing our dogs if we pay attention to the way in which dogs view the world. And I think that COVID was helpful in that as we began to understand how dogs look at things. So I think that, that one of the things that I spend a lot of time on or did, I'm, I'm now actually retired from training, um, <laughs> but was was a lot on uh, dog body language and understanding how is my dog perceiving this world. Because honestly, I'm not seeing your dog enjoying the fact that I'm coming through the door. And if you throw it on my lap, think, good things are not going to happen for either one of us. <laughs> Oh,
2: and body language is so huge. It's one of the things I have a webinar. I have a website called Truly Force-Free Animal Training, and I'm always adding webinars and classes and courses so people can have this access anywhere in the world. They could access a positive force-free trainer. And I one of the first webinars I put on there that I used to do live all the time before COVID um, is body language, because I'd say any human who is going to be involved with a dog, whether you're a owner, uh, you know, you're a vet, you're a groomer, you're a shelter person, every single person working with a dog should be fluent in dog body language. They need to understand that because that's the way they communicate with us. And that's how you will know they're getting a little nervous where I could tell you, you know, I'm a little comfortable with that man that's across the room and I might be looking at him and my body language may just be real subtle, like I'm shifting my eyes, And you might understand that as a human, but when a dog shifts their eyes um, or turns away or licks their lips or yawns, nobody's paying any attention to that if they haven't taken the time to learn that. And I had a therapist one time say, the whole, the amygdala's only purpose in life is to keep the organism safe that it is living in. So fight, flight, and freeze is to keep, whether I'm a dog body, a cat body, a human body, Uh, you know, a squirrel body. My amygdala is is the only reason it is there is to make sure I survive to potentially reproduce. I mean, if we were just looking at biologically only and, but the only way with dogs that we can understand that they're going down that path of fear is if you understand body language. So it all goes together. And this is where the people who just want, I just want my dog to behave. Don't want to invest that time to, to always want to like learn all the parts But it's so rewarding when you get cross over that bridge to you have that real relationship with your dog. It's not me dominating my dog, me controlling my dog. It's me living with my
1: dog. It's me growing with my dog. You know, one of the things that I would also tell people, especially those that have dogs who are, you know, a little bit reticent with people or whatever, I would say you have my permission to advocate for your dog. So if somebody's coming towards your dog and your dog is giving you all these signals saying, I don't want this person anywhere near me, you have my permission to step between that person and your dog. And say this is I'm sorry, apparently we're not feeling social today, maybe another time. So I, I think that the other thing that happens is that the more you understand the subtleties of canine body language, the earlier you can intervene to prevent an escalation. I'm sure all three of us hear this a lot. It came out of the blue. Yes. And it never comes out of the blue. <laughs> no. What what happens is that you're not seeing or not recognizing those really early symptoms or those early stress signals, or you don't pay any attention until the dog has escalated the point where you're like, okay, I thought I was being pretty clear and telling you when I curled my lip or when I was looking away that I was uncomfortable. So you know now and then I growled and then you yelled at me. So apparently that's not making it very clear to you. So maybe I ought to try air snapping. Because maybe then you'll get my attention. And then you just yelled at me again. So I guess next time I'm just going to have to have teeth meet skin. And then you'll really get the point across. And so people feel like it comes out of the blue when they don't realize that there's actually been signals leading up to that point. So dog body language, I think, not only improves the relationship you have with your dog, it helps your dog to relax and know that they can trust you to take care of them in this given situation. And it gives you the ability to intervene before something escalates into something highly unpleasant. For
2: sure. The most dangerous dog I've ever worked with is one um, that was hit every time he growled. And so he was like, well, that doesn't work. And that gets me into trouble. So I'm going to go from like licking my lips to I will bite you. Like there's no, he just skipped that step because that step not only didn't work and warn people, but it got him hurt. So he skipped it and it was a very good way of him communicating, but his, you know, parents weren't advocates. They didn't understand. And they were all, it was, you know, it was a hard case because I couldn't get through to them. They just wanted to dominate him and they didn't want to be his advocate And I always tell people, I wouldn't let a stranger come up to my kids when they were small and hug them and kiss them and pet their head. I would never have let a stranger do that to my child. Why am I going to let a stranger do that to my dog, particularly when my dog is like, I don't want this person coming near me. Now, if my dog is one of those people, like if I, I have a child who would talk to everybody on the planet, well, that kid I have to monitor, make sure he's safe, so he doesn't go home with somebody else. But, um, but I didn't have to advocate for him. Now my daughter, she was very shy, and if you came over, she wouldn't say anything. She would just go into freeze and shut down. And it wasn't fair to her to be all you know handled. Just like my dogs, if they don't want to be handled, I'm gonna say you know they don't really like that. And my least favorite people on the planet are the ones who say every dog loves me. I can touch them. I will pet them, and. I'm working with these reactive dogs, and I'm going. Oh my gosh!
1: Apparently, my dog didn't get that memo. You know, right? no, nobody told me that you were, you know, God's gift to to dogs. And apparently, my dog didn't hear that. So, sorry, it's the one exception to the rule. But yeah, that that's that's really frustrating. In fact, I was working with a client, and we were making progress on helping her dog be comfortable in society. And so, I, I live in a in a little village. We have a three thousand people, or some such thing. And so we chose a time during the middle of the day when there'd be some people out, but not a lot of people out, so that we could gradually work our way through the village, right? And we were stopped, and we were talking, and I was just saying how well the dog had done. And we were standing. The dog is facing us, and we're standing facing the dog. And so I'm thinking we've got it fairly well protected, and we're feeding it treats. Some guy dashed in between the two of us, grabbed the dog's face, and ran off, and put us back weeks, weeks. Yes,
2: yes. I literally had to dive in front of one of my client's dogs. Once we were doing the same thing, had worked to the society. We were at a park. There weren't very many people. The dog needed a break. So we had found a bench. She went under the bench between, you know, back behind our legs. And we were talking, but there was nothing. They couldn't access from behind. And this person just came barreling towards us. I leapt out of this bench, body blocked this human. But even that, she didn't get to touch the dog, but the dog went backwards because now this person, you know, is running and scaring us, you know? So
0: it definitely is a hard thing. So one of the things that I would say, working with as many anxious and fearful dogs as I do, like I'm constantly saying, we're working with the dog that's in front of us, not some mythical dog that's in a book somewhere. Mm -hmm. But also- We are in the world we're in where, you know, people are on devices more and more. They don't read body language even in humans all that well anymore. There's been a lot of changes in impulsivity and arguably lots of dopamine receptors have been built that maybe are not the best dopamine receptors to have. And so people are more impulsive. Children are more impulsive. The vast majority of dogs, I muzzle train to a basket muzzle. And it's always really hard for families. It was hard for me, too, in the beginning to be like, no, 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 my dog's nice. He's never bitten anybody. But it has almost completely eradicated the idiot coming up and letting their child tackle a dog or run their puppy into a fearful dog it gives us space and i do find that i have to coach the handler on how to handle the rude people who are who just are deciding to judge instead of being curious and how to handle that either with a sense of humor or elegantly that they can say no 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 this is a really nice dog he just needs space And I got tired of saying it and not being listened to. So instead, his face says it. Yeah. Right. So I think some of it has come from that we've made anthropomorphizing so bad that we've made it very difficult for people to even take their dog's perspective. We Like you were talking about, your kids, you don't want everybody touching them and kissing them and putting their hands on them. Your children should not know everything and talk to every stranger they meet, and neither should your dog. So I'm floating more and more anthropomorphizing in to go, no, you go to the grocery store, you don't even make eye contact with anyone unless you have a question or you accidentally are afraid you're going to bump into somebody or you're dealing with a cashier at the store. Like you walk past thousands of people every day and do not pay any attention at all. That's a really reasonable goal for a dog. And we the only if you're at a store, you're only going to talk to somebody
2: you know. You're not going to like go, I mean, or if you have something in common, but it's going to be like exactly
0: you're going to pass thousands of people a day and not say hi to them. And not interact with them because it would be exhausting if you did. Yep. It would be scary if you did. It would be unsafe if you did. So this, I, I don't touch every dog. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I sometimes get clients who are like, I went through in a whole eight week class and you never petted my dog. And I'm like, right. Cause your dog doesn't like strangers <laughs> petting him. He totally will eat my venison. He thinks I'm awesome. He just never asked
2: for me to touch him. So I didn't. Oh right. my gosh. I have to tell my reactive dog clients will come up to me and they come for the first time. And I, I literally, this is how he entered. Hi, I'm Shannon. I am not ignoring your dog. I'm actually watching your dog's body language, but I just want you to know that they don't want me in their business. So I'm, I have to like preface that or they think I don't like them. And I hike with a friend who touches every dog. And she's always like, do you not like dogs?" Like, you And I'm like, because those dogs don't want to be touched. Well, and I hardly touched a single dog ever but then i look like i'm the one who doesn't like dogs but i'm like actually i'm
1: respecting your dog's choices absolutely i you know people are like you haven't touched my dog you're right because you know (laughs) maximilian over there has clearly said don't come near me so it's like (laughs) great max and usually if i do that and show the dog some respect the interaction we have comes a lot sooner Oh, I
2: have people who, um, because I'll just give treats, you know, I'm tossing treats, whatever. Next thing I know, the dog's in my lap, you know, putting their chin, can I have some more of those treats? And the people will go, oh, my gosh, my dog's never made friends with somebody that fast. And I'm like, yeah, but if I went and pet their head right now, I would lose all this friendship. Or if I tried to give her a big hug right now, my trust would be gone and we would actually have gone back further. Right. Because now I did a, a, because trust is easy to break, but hard to earn. (laughs) And
0: so I would be like, but your dog will love me next time because I didn't touch them. Well, and even like something as simple as like, well, I just want my dog to let me cut his toenails. I'm like, okay, your OBGYN knows not to start with the main event. (laughs) Like (laughs) it starts with you waiting for them. And then like the nice lady at the desk signing you in and then they weigh you, which is a little offensive. We don't, <laughs> none of us. Really, we're all like, I'm, I brought my heavy shoes today. Right. Like, we're all stripping down. Like, wait, I got to take off my rings, my watch. Hold
1: on. Let me put my phone down. It's a big one. Right. <laughs> As if it's going to change that scale at all. My doctor told me that I don't have to be weighed. That they can get I can tell them what I think I weigh and that they can get my health assessed another way and I have every right to say I don't want to be weighed. Oh I want your doctor <laughs> well, I now did that I did it at my cardiologist and she kind of looked at me and said, I weighed myself this morning this is what my skill said and I'm not getting on yours and it was really empowering just FYI well and it's just like we're giving our dogs choice
0: not to have to say hi to this person it's empowering and it builds confidence and trust. And when a dog has an opportunity to go, I'm not ready yet. And we go, thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that. They go, well, maybe I'm a little bit more ready. Yeah. I love the dogs who have no one's ever done a consent test with who you do a consent test and they look at you like you are the craziest person they have ever met. Uh They're like, wait, are you giving me a a choice? Uh I'm like, yes. Like Uh ask for more, or you could say, I don't know how I feel about that yet. Or you could say, no, thanks. My petting tube is full. Yeah. Like You can be wherever you are in the continuum and I'm okay with that. And it's amazing to me how many dogs who are highly social and like touch still only want one hand on them, not two. Mm -hmm. And when you say like, here's one hand, yay. This one, they go, no, Mm -hmm. no, I'm not sure about that. I think you're probably going to trap me. Mm -hmm. Right. So it it becomes like a
1: really beautiful, fluent conversation. It is a conversation. And I mm-hmm. also think too, it helps to prevent those dogs that do that pounce off where it's sort of mm-hmm. proactive. Like I don't want you to touch me. So basically I'm going to use you like a backboard and push you off as a way of saying, don't get anywhere near me. And mm-hmm. if I don't approach the dog, I tend not to get pounced on like that. Mm-hmm. And then the dog does approach me much more softly. But you know, people are like, oh, he's just friendly. I'm like, no, th- that's not friendly. Right. Like, if, if I greeted you
0: by running across the room, screaming, and threw myself on your chest, would you consider that a friendly greeting? <laughs> right. Right. Every doodle owner is like, wait. No, he's <laughs> friendly. And I'm like, it's, it's the reason the behavior isn't going away is because it's functional. Exactly. It works. Right? People are like, please, no. Because what happens to our sweet doodle friends, they look like a stuffed animal. And people just assume that they're happy with whatever touching and interaction we want to do because they act like they're not living creatures. So my experience is those dogs are very politely going, no. By jumping yeah. on the person yeah. like stop yeah. touching me stop asking me to do things or I they
2: mouth a- them you know and even not hard mouthing but they yep. mouth them and and then the person just like you know keeps pushing and keeps pushing or they step away they mouth them and then they're like oh, oh my god he bit me well then it worked so then they're
1: going to do it again because it worked. The behavior that they wanted to have happen, happened. So therefore, if I do this, people do what I want them to do. And
2: that goes full circle to why humans punished, you know, because it's right. reinforcing. And Crazy so I way. talk
0: all the time, like, okay, I'm pretty sure you've been telling Reggie to not do that for six months, right? For six months, you've been like, no jumping, no jumping, no jumping, no jumping, no jumping. What we're going to do this time is we're going to wait until Reggie says he wants us to approach and Mm. man, that jumping immediately goes away. Yeah. Immediately. So I fully admit as a crossover trainer that when this idea of consent was getting pushed into dog training, Mm. I was like, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. Like there's sometimes we just have to do stuff like, and the dog just has to like, I, I, I have to get my teeth cleaned, whether I like that or not. Right. I have to get inoculated, whether I'm enjoying that particular sensation or not. So I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. And I, I did, I had to wrestle it a little bit Mm -hmm. and it has proven out time and time and time again, that the more consent we add in, the more willing the dog is to do the things that are unpleasant.
2: It goes to the whole idea of, um, I use a lot of human psychology. So the Gottman Institute, which is relationships, has the emotional bank account. Susan Friedman talks about it too, where all the positive interactions, whether that's treats or allowing them a choice, that's an account that you're putting in and it's all positive, positive, positive. So if you think about a a, a savings account, and this is for any relationship, not just our dog, but The more good things we have, okay, so we have like, you know, we'll just say, you know, $10,000 in our bank account, but we have to do something. Our car breaks and we have to take $3,000 out of it. Well, yeah, that's going to hurt some, but we have $10,000. So the $3,000 is going to be, I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. But I have the savings there. It's not going to deplete my account. Now, if I didn't have anything in there and I had three hundred dollars in there and it was three thousand, then we're going to have a negative account. And that's emotionally, you know, emotionally, it's all this good stuff we're building, whether it's our dog, our friends, our spouse, our kids. We build up an emotional bank account that really tells you all these trust, 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 tokens, tokens, tokens. Sometimes life happens. Even as a force free positive trainer, my dog still has to go to the vet that and get, you know, something done he doesn't want done. He or my lab has ear infections. I have to clean out his ears. I've done cooperative care. We've done all the stuff. He gets the treats. But when it's really bad, I have to clean it. He doesn't want it. But I clean it, I give him a treat. But I have such an emotional bank account. In the moment, he doesn't like it. Just like I don't want to go to the dentist. Just like I don't want to go to the OBGYN or get my mammogram or do my thing. But because it's a, it's a minor withdrawal, because my account is so full. And that's where people get confused with force positive training is that you never do anything that your dog doesn't want. Well, you know what? If my dog is on a long line and they're about to run over a run in the street and get hit by a car, you better bet your butt that I'm gonna yank him. Now they'll be on a harness, not a pinch, but I'm gonna yank him onto the sidewalk to save their life. Now, if my kid is about to fall off a cliff and the only thing I can grab is their hair to pull them up or their arm to pull him up. I'm going to do it. It doesn't mean that's how I'm going to teach them how to read or how to do other things. In that moment I had to do it. And then I'm going to f- repair the relationship with what I, you know, or my relationship so strong, they're like thanks for saving my life rather
0: than why did you just dislocate my shoulder, you know. Right. So this is where I think Lima becomes a really big help mm-hmm. because you know, there, there's going to be the person who goes, but that dog shouldn't be on a leash. Like his freedom should be unfettered. And I'm like, right. But that's not safe. Yes. If we're not in a safe environment, if the dog isn't adequately trained to be in that environment off leash, then that's not negotiable. And that's where I will say, I think the punishment based stuff did work in that dogs were like, no, I better, I better come when I'm called. (laughs) <laughs> right? And and I think a lot of times people are like, well, I just, I trained him positively. And I'm like, I'm not sure we really trained him. Mm-hmm. I think we gave him a lot of cookies, but I don't think we ever proofed or tested. Yes. Did the dog learn what we thought we were teaching him? I'll give an example of my staff. So a couple of my staff are getting CGCAs for their dogs. And in the test items, one of them is the dog has to do a sit stay and all of our dogs default to a down. Oh, <laughs> right. So all of a sudden my staff were like, crud, I have <laughs> to teach a sit stay. And the dogs are like, no, it's way more comfortable in the down. Now I will say for, I started as a kid in like AKC obedience stuff, putting CDs on dogs as an adult. I'm like, I don't care if the dog has a sit stay. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't care. They're more likely to hold it in a down than a sit anyway. hmm But for the CGCA, we have to have it. So it was a really good training opportunity with my staff to go, how are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. Because we have totally adjusted to what's more comfortable for our individual dogs. Mm -hmm. And our dogs, they all know sit, but they generally are like, I'm going to sit. And then when you tell me the exercise is over, I'm just going to relax. And they're like, crud. I don't have a sit stay. I taught it all in a down. And I always love the Kay Lawrence story that all of her dogs are trained off leash through mm-hmm. all of the obedience stuff. And she doesn't really start at least the last I talked to her. She doesn't really start showing until she's already got all the training done. Cause she's going to be really efficient, right? She's going to yeah. move through all those classes and title the dog. Well, in the UK, your first level of obedience must be on a leash. Well, she was like, if you put my dog on a leash, they become hooligans. They're like, we're off duty. they have only been trained off leash. So she looked up the rules and she shows them on thread. <laughs> so they don't even know they're on a leash, right? <laughs> but, but we see this in a, in you know training classes where at home, all of the training is off leash. Mm-hmm. Then you bring them into the classroom and there are five other dogs. So everybody's on a leash and the dogs are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Totally. We're, We're not in the living room. Yep. Off leash. Like this is my outfit to go to the dog park. (laughs) Yeah, it it totally.
2: I mean, and it just depends on where, how you live. I'm a very um, adaptive trainer to what people's lifestyle is. And I do agility. So my dogs need to have sometimes a sit stay because on the table, you might have to have a five second sit stay or it might be a down stay or it might be whatever. So I teach all those things. I also, my dogs teach, learn how to loose leash walk on the left and the right. But if you're only going to do confirmation just worry about the left, or you're only going to do obedience. Um, you know, so I have to adapt to what. what is my sport? What is my skill? And what am I going to want to do with my dog, you know, long term? And then I always tell, because people I have that too, they train at home without the leash. And then I'm, in the, I'm like, okay, well, you have to sometimes put the leash on because that's what they're going to be used to. Because we have some pretty strict leash laws. I'm in California and You will get sighted in some places if your dog is not on a leash. So, yes, it's great if you have a dog who's perfectly off-leash trained, but you go to the park and they're off-leash, you might get a ticket because you're breaking the law. So, why not teach our dogs how to be comfortable on a leash sometimes and then off-leash where it's appropriate too? And it just comes to figuring out, you know, what your your needs are, what your clients' needs are. And not confusing the dog because it is confusing to the dog that has only learned down stay And now they're like, You want me to stand stay in this position for what? For how long? Like, why would I be asked? It would be like saying I had to stand on an airplane for eight hours on a flight when I'm like, but there's all these chairs here. Why would I not just sit for eight hours?
0: You know? Well, and and it is funny. Like when when I look at the different testing that we do, there was a time where whether the dog was in a sit or a down probably did matter. I mean, I don't get a lot of people who are, who are like, Hey, I want my dog to have a very strict heel position. They just want their dog to not give them a rotator cuff injury. Right. (laughs) So while I possess the skill to teach all that, that's, it's not very enjoyable for the dog Mm -hmm. and it's honestly not very enjoyable for the person either, except that it looks cool. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, we can get there a different way. That's Mm -hmm. way more fun. So it, it, it is interesting to have watched this evolution where it went really from how to train a military dog in 13 weeks. Yes. To this is a family member mm-hmm. who lives with your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and your cat. And that the dogs that are being purpose trained, for example, like the military, do not live with a family. Mm-hmm. They're not asked to do that. Yeah. They have a really specific job. So it, I think when, when we start explaining, you know, when we're able to bridge that for people to go, right. But we wouldn't take a kindergartner and put them at Camp Lejeune. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we realize that's just, that's not fair. Exactly. I mean, it is, it's one of those things where
2: figuring out like what their needs are. Just like if you have like, I right now, I don't know if it's where you guys are too, but cattle dogs and healers are super popular as family pets. But I literally get people who are like, Oh, I got him from this ranch. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's, it was a hurting like line. And now they don't understand why the dogs want to cuddle on the couch with them, but is like outside paroling the backyard. You know, it's like because that's not what they were bred for thousands and thousands of years to do. And you didn't go to the person who has really tried to get a family dog. You went to a person or a border collie. That's even, you know, oh, I went to the border collie for the, the working border collie line. But I live in an apartment and I just really, I like the way they look. And I just want them to cuddle with me. And I'm just like, okay, well, that's like asking an, uh like genius to just sit and read baby books for the rest of their life and like they can't function they're going to go crazy and then that that need to use their skill is going to fester into something else you know like hurting the cats or you know or hurting the kids or nipping you know just causing more problems because we're looking at what we want so much in those situations rather than what Is this dog really bred to do? What is this dog's personality to do? Not every golden retriever wants to be a cuddle bug. Like some of them don't, but if that's what you want, then you have to look for those things or you get a golden retriever who doesn't want that. And you say, you know what? I love you anyway. Let's see what do you want to do? Oh, you want to go be an agility dog or you want to be a therapy dog or you, you know, want to duck dive or you want to swim every day. Okay, well, let's figure out a way to get your desire, your needs met. And then we're going to have a better relationship rather than trying to fit them in a mold, whether it's a training mold or, a behavior, you know, a personality mold, you know, so it is, it's so interesting how things have changed over time,
1: you know, and I,
0: I'm curious to see where it all goes. It's mm-hmm. been really great having you. We're so glad that you reached out. This has been fun. It's so fun to talk to people who like get it. And like, you can have different analogies. <laughs> and, that, and-, and that you don't have to hide that you're a crossover trainer, right? <laughs> that, that they're not like, what? You? I'm like, well, right. I started in 1979. So <laughs> there were, to my knowledge, no clickers, right? right? <laughs> that was And yet, like, you know, I remember when gentle leaders were like the
2: new positive thing. Like, I remember getting the protocol and and I, and the first easy walk harness, and I'm like, "Well, there's no two color differences. How does this thing go on?" Because they sent me a, you know, one. The company sent me one. I'm like, "Ah, oh, this works." And the gentle leader was like, "Well, this is positive now, you know." And it's like, "Can be, but now we know it also could be just as dangerous as a pinch if we're not using it properly." But it is. It's amazing how it's changed, but I love that too, that we're not getting stuck in this one little box.
1: Well, we're so glad that you uh, joined us and I hope that your podcast audience will enjoy it and ours too. It's always fun to, to get trainers to talk to one another because sometimes what happens with trainers is that if you've got three of them, the only thing that two of them agree on is that the third one's doing it wrong. I think it's great that I think we have three trainers here who pretty much agree that we're all doing the best we can with the tools we have to be as positive as we can for and advocates for our families as well as their dogs. Because that's something I learned very early on, is that my first advocacy had to be for the family. Um, people always had to outrank dogs or I was going to start making some serious mistakes. Anyway, it's nice to be in harmony with, with two other canine advocates. So... Thanks so much, and uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. We can continue this uh, trainer discussion. So thanks, and we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com
1: to share your thoughts.